You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Joshua chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Today we're continuing this series on unsung heroes as we look to another story of an individual that God did amazing things through. Her story is like what I would call a turnaround story. How many of you like turnaround stories? I love turnaround stories. Like there's no hope, there's no future. Um, it looks like this is like this whole thing's going to end up like a total mess. And then there's a complete turnaround, and what we thought would never happen could never happen actually happens. What do we call those? We call those turnaround stories. Stories like a man who went to West Point and entered the army as an officer. But actually didn't like his post in the New Oregon Territory. He didn't like being separated from his family. He drank too much alcohol. He fell into depression and actually quit the army. Came back to his hometown, started a business. The business failed miserably. When the Civil War broke out, he was asked to rejoin the army. And he did so well that he was promoted to the top general of the Union of the Union forces. After leading the Union to victory, he was elected twice as the President of the United States. So from quitting to failing to deep depression, he became the man who held like the highest office of leadership in the land. Any idea who he was? Grant. Ulysses S. Grant. From failure to alcoholism to bankruptcy to becoming the President of the United States. What an amazing turnaround story. Here's another great turnaround story. Early on in this man's career, he proved to be like this sputtering, crashing dud. Uh, Ever know anyone like that? 1923, he started a business called the Laffograms Company that really never got off the ground. He had great creativity, but like he never had really the financial backing to to back his creativity. Started a business. The business went bankrupt. He soon found himself virtually homeless. He was sleeping in his office where he befriended this tame mouse. He was taking showers down at the train station. Man, his life had just like blown up. Like it couldn't like it couldn't get any worse. Well, this man, after coming to bankruptcy, took the last few dollars he had and he bought a train ticket and he went from where he was at to Hollywood. It was there he had a dream of starting another company. Actually the company that bears his name. And you know, he, he created a slightly obnoxious little cartoon character named Mickey Mouse. Any of you know who that was? Walt Disney, right? I mean, think of the story. From a failure to bankruptcy to being basically homeless to the man who created what we know as Disneyland today. Here's one more turnaround story. I really like this one because I like football. This young man went undrafted in the NFL in 1994. And he actually took the job, get this, of working in a grocery store, bagging groceries for $5.50 an hour. Um, with no NFL team actually opening an opportunity for him later, he played in, are- in the Arena Football League. He played in uh, NFL Europe. He finally, got, he finally got into the NFL and led the St. Louis Rams to a Super Bowl. In 2008, he was named the NFL Man of the Year for his off-field accomplishments. Any idea who the man was? Kurt Warner. Amazing. He went from... A grocery store bagger, 550 an hour, to leading the St. Louis Rams to Super Bowl 34, became the MVP of the Super Bowl. Can you imagine? What a turnaround story. And if you know Kurt Warner's story, he's a great man of God, has great faith, has doing great things to his life. An amazing, amazing turnaround stories. 
And there's something about turnaround stories that excites us and gives us hope. I think, I think it's the turnaround stories that reminds us that God can take our messes and He can turn them into miracles. Isn't that good news? God can take our messes and turn them into miracles. He can take the blunders of our lives and bring good out of them. He certainly did that for Rahab. And it's, it's this woman that we want to focus in on this morning. Possibly you've never heard her story, but it's an amazing turnaround story. She was like the most unlikely of individuals. As a matter of fact, if you were going to choose someone to be on your team, if you were going to choose someone to work through, to bring rescue, to bring redemption, to be a part of kind of like the whole conquering of of the promised land that God wanted to give the children of Israel. Listen, you wouldn't have chosen you wouldn't have chosen Rahab. She wouldn't have been at the top of your list. Most likely she wouldn't have been at the bottom of your list because of who she was, because of what she had experienced in her life. Yet there's this amazing turnaround that God does in our lives. What we discover with Rahab is that there's always hope with God. There's no failure. There's no blunder. There's no past issue that makes us unusable to God. Hey, turn to your neighbor and tell them there's always hope with God. Go ahead and tell them. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Tell them again. There's always, always, always hope with God. You know, it's been said that the greatest, it's been said that the past is the greatest predictor of the future. Now, I believe that. Matter of fact, we're doing some interviews now for a staff position. And as I'm interviewing folks, I'm digging into their past. I want to know about the track record. Because what they did in the past is a pretty good indicator of what's going to happen in the present and the future. Now, I think the past is, tells us a story about what the present and future will be. However, I don't believe our past is a great predictor of the future when we factor in God's transforming mercy and grace. And what He can do in someone's life. To turn their lives around, to take their past and to, and to turn it for their good. That's certainly what he did for Rahab. Now, now to appreciate Rahab's story, you, you need a little broader context. And I don't want to just assume maybe you know the broader context. Uh, but in case you don't, let, let me tell you the broader story that brings us to Joshua chapter 2. It actually began 430 years earlier. For 430 years, the Israelites, the children of Israel, had been enslaved. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were uh, abused. They were misused. They were uh, making bricks for the Egyptians under the rule of Pharaoh. And God says, hey, it's time, it's time for my people. I've heard their cry. It's time to bring them out from bondage to the promised land. So he He uh, identified a leader by the name of Moses. Maybe you know Moses' story. Identified a leader. Moses goes into Egypt. God reveals his power through ten different plagues. Finally, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. At that point, Pharaoh says, get these people out of here. I want them out. I want them out of my sight, out of my presence. So Moses then leads like one million plus Israelites out of Egypt, taking them to the promised land. But they didn't get to the promised land right away. There was a problem. Um, the problem was called rebellion. The problem was called sin. Listen, the children of Israel had the same problem you and I have. It's called rebellion. I know you would never rebel, but your neighbor said it beside you. It's a real problem for them, right? And we have the same issue, the children of Israel. We, we, don't, we don't listen well. We don't obey well. As a result of their rebellion, as a result of their disobedience, they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. At the end of 40 years, Moses is coming to the end of his leadership. He passes the baton of leadership to Joshua, who he's been mentoring. Moses dies. God says, it's time to go into the promised land. 
You can read that whole story. It's recorded in the first part of Joshua, but the Jordan River miraculously parts as the priests step into the river. The water parts, and they go into the promised land. So now Joshua and the children of Israel are in the land God wants them to have, but now they have to possess the land, meaning there's some cities they have to conquer. There's some battles they have to fight. Well, the first city they come to is a city called Jericho. Now, Jericho was a strategic city in the conquering of the land because it was like right in the middle. If you were to look at a map, it's right in the middle of the promised land. So it was cities to the north. They were cities to the south. And if they could conquer Jericho, then they could divide the cities. Then they could go north. Then they could go south in different campaigns and different battle campaigns. But the city of Jericho was a well-protected city was surrounded by a massive wall. So Joshua, needing not only help from God, but a good battle strategy, decides to send two spies into the land to check out the land. And specifically, they get information about Jericho. How are we going to conquer this city? And so we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shedom. Look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and notice what they did. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go up, go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the, so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Notice verse 8, a key verse. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that, that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Notice verse 14, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So, so Rahab in this story not only informed the spies, but she saved the spies in exchange her family would be saved as the city of Jericho was destroyed. And if you read on down in the chapter, the spies said to Rahab, you must uh, put this scarlet cord or red rope, if you will. You must put this red rope out your window. And it's the red rope that will signify, that will alert us that this is your home on the wall. So when we come in to take the city, 
your life and the life of your family will be spared if you have the scarlet cord. It's an important part of the story. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But it was the scarlet cord that was the symbol of, of protection. It was the scarlet cord that was the symbol of provision. It was the scarlet cord that became the symbol of salvation for Rahab. But as we look at Rahab, Rahab is, I believe, a picture of the power of the Lord Jesus to transform any life that comes to him by faith. I think this story reminds us that God often works through the most improbable to do the impossible. I think Rahab would be like the most improbable. Again, out of all the people that God could have chosen, he chose a prostitute. He chose someone that you wouldn't have chosen to be a part of his redemption plan. The most improbable to do the impossible. Basically, as we look to Rahab's story, the way I kind of see this happening, I, I just identify this story as like Rahab and Rehab. Like there's this rehab happening in her life. So let me just quickly walk you through the story because there's an amazing progression. There's an amazing picture. If you can get this, there's an amazing picture of the grace and mercy of God available for every one of us here today. So let's begin with this. Rahab was a pagan. She was a pagan who worshipped the false gods of the Canaanites. It was probably not only for her, but for generations. Family, family members had worshipped the sun god, the moon god, the god of Baal, the god of Asherah. They had any number of gods and they would sacrifice to these gods, maybe even offering children in worship to these false gods. She was a pagan. Far from God. Not only was she a pagan, but what's clearly revealed in this scripture is she was a prostitute who made her living by selling her body. Now, this made a great cover-up for two spies, right? Two unknown men coming into the city. Who would ever think anything about two men going into the prostitute's house? So great cover-up for the spies. But think about this. Think about Rahab's life. She was not valued for who she was. She was valued for what she could do. Day after day, man after man would come. And abuse her and use her for their pleasure. Not concerned about her life or her future. Now, I don't know this. The scripture doesn't say this. But I would have to believe that after encounter, after encounter, after encounter, she's given herself away. She's given herself away. She's given herself away. I have to believe that Rahab was in like this miserable place in her life. She was a woman who was miserable in her existence because of the profession of her life. So she was a pagan She was a prostitute, yet in her life there came a new beginning. She chose to believe in the one true God, and this was the turning point in her life. What's interesting, when the spies came to Rahab, before the spies could tell Rahab while they were there, Rahab was telling them about their God. Did you you pick that up in the text? Look back to verse 8. Rahab begins to tell them about all that God has done. She says, we've heard the stories of the greatness of God. And it's interesting, if you look back to verse 8, As she's speaking of God, she references him as Lord. If you look back to verse 8, L-O-R-D, it's all in caps. Anytime you see the word Lord in caps in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word for Yahweh, and it speaks of a God of relationship, a covenant God. So Rahab is not speaking of Elohim, the God of power, the God of might. She's speaking of a God of relationship. In other words, she had already come to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She had already put her faith in God. 
So it became the turning point in her life. She turned from being a pagan worshiping false gods to worship the one true God. Because of her willingness to believe in God, Rahab became a part of God's rescue mission, God's redemptive plan. Not only did she inform the spies, but she hid the spies and helped them escape. As a result of her action, her her life was spared as well as the lives of her family members. When the city of Jericho was conquered and the walls came down, it was the scarlet cord that marked her home and it brought her family to safety. But she was a part of God's plan. So again, from pagan, are you seeing the the progression? From pagan to prostitute to being repurposed, her life repurposed, redirected to be a part of God's plan. It doesn't stop there. Actually, her story even gets better. Rahab was taken from the house of shame and ended up in the hall of fame. Amazing. What an amazing turnaround. After the fall of the city of Jericho, this is what we know reading through scriptures, kind of putting all of the pieces together, Rahab left her life of prostitution and actually married an Israelite. She married a a Jewish man by the name of Salmon. And if you study it out, she actually became the great, great grandmother of King David. Is that not amazing? From prostitute, from pagan and prostitute to great, great grandmother of King David. And if you follow the genealogy out, if you look to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you'll actually find Rahab in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She became the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. From from pagan to prostitute to the grandmother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't tell me God can't take a mess and turn it around to a miracle. Amazing. An amazing turn around story. What we learn from Rahab's story is that with Jesus, there's always possibility. There's always possibility. Hey, t- tell your neighbor this morning, hey, there's possibility with Jesus. Go ahead and tell Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're, you're down on your luck. You were wondering, why in the world am I going to church today? Listen, you're here today to hear this. There's always possibility with Jesus Christ. Listen, your past does not have to limit your future. How many of you know we all have a past? We all have stories about our lives that we'd rather no one else know. We all have some skeletons in the closet and we'd rather keep them in the closet. You know what I'm talking about. But hear me this morning. Your past, whatever it is, maybe it's bankruptcy, maybe it's adultery, maybe it's divorce. I don't know what it would be. Maybe it's a felony. Maybe it's you robbed the bank. I I don't know what it would be. But this is what I know. Your past does not have to limit your future. That's what we learn from Rahab. And that's what her story tells us. Again, from pagan to prostitute to becoming like in the lineage of Christ. We find Rahab mentioned in the Hall of Fame faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, there's Abraham, there's Moses, there's all of these Heroes, and then we come, Hebrews 11.31 then talks about Rahab and her faith. Listen, your past, your past does not have to limit or be a lid on your life or your future. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 8.1 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Colossians 2.17 says that that, that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin, forgiving us of, get this, all, all of our sin. 
Listen, your past with Jesus, with Jesus, your past does not have to limit your future. Not only that, but your failures can become a place of God's greatest work. When the God would work out of your failures. I mean, that's what we find of, in Rahab's story. What It was out of her prostitution that God did his greatest work. It was in the house of the harlot that God did his greatest work. I mean, think about that. Oftentimes we look at our failures and we say, well, God could never use me or God could never use that. And I'm here to tell you today from Rahab's story is that there's always possibility with God. Always possibility. Out of your greatest failure, could it be that there he might want to do his greatest work? It was certainly true for a gentleman by the name of Chuck Colson. Maybe you are familiar with the name. Chuck Colson was like the top advisor to President Nixon. Became involved in the Watergate scandal. As a result of his crime, he did time. And it was as he was incarcerated, someone gave Chuck Colson a book. And through that book, the Holy Spirit grabbed Chuck Colson's heart. He committed his life to Christ. And out of that crisis of of being incarcerated, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. A ministry to bring hope to the incarcerated, to the victims, and to the family members of the incarcerated. Today, get this, today... Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people's lives have been changed through prison fellowship. And it happened out of Chuck Coson's failure. Matter of fact, Chuck Coson said this. He says, what I could take no glory in, my greatest shame became the place of God's greatest work. Amazing. Like Rahab. Listen, your failures... Your failures could be the place that God would do his greatest work. Listen, don't look at your failure and say, wow, that's too big. No, look at the bigness of who God is. Look at the greatness of who God is. Interpret your situation through that of the wonder of God's ability. Because listen, your faith can open the way for greater opportunities. That's what I know. It certainly did for Rahab. As she put her faith in the one true God, the one who redeems and restores, what happened? The doors of opportunity flew open. Again, she went from a prostitute to marrying a man to become the great-great-grandmother of King David. And then, as I mentioned, the great-great-great-great-great-great, I don't know how many greats, but she was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She became a part of God's redemption story. Amazing. It was her faith that opened the way for greater opportunities. Listen, don't look at your life or situation and say there's no hope. There's always hope with God. As we step out in faith, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Where there seems to be no opportunity, God can bring opportunity. Where we may have seemed to so messed it up, it's there that God can redeem, restore, and repurpose our lives. Listen, if Rahab's story tells us anything this morning... It's this, there's always hope with God. Always hope with God. Remember the scarlet cord, a significant part of the story. The spies said to Rahab, if, we, if, if you hang the scarlet cord out the window, we'll see the scarlet cord and we'll, we'll not destroy your home. Your, your family will be saved. I think it's interesting that the spies told her to use a scarlet cord. They didn't tell her, hey, put out a blue rope, put out a yellow rope. They didn't tell her to put out a black rope or a white rope, very specific, put out a red rope. So let me piece all of this together for you. Going back to the children of Israel in Egypt, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And Moses had directed the children of Israel, kill the lamb, 
without spot, take its blood, put it over the doorpost. And when the death angel comes through, he'll see the blood and will pass over the blood. The blood that marked the doorpost was, a, was a, the pr- protection and provision. It was salvation. We come to Rahab's story. There was the scarlet cord, the red rope. It was the red rope that would mark her home. It was the red rope that would bring protection and provision and salvation. So from the blood over the doorpost to the red rope, fast forward to a cross at Calvary. It was there that our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave His life. It was there that His scarlet blood was spilled to do what? To bring provision protection and salvation that we might be redeemed and restored that the messes of our lives might come the place of God's greatest work there's always hope with God always hope with God as he works out of of his redemption in our lives For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.